Josh, what did we talk about today? Uh, we talked about, what did we talk about? We talked about confirmation bias. Did we talk about that? We talked about why we find it difficult um, to complement our sounds and why we find it much easier to, um, to put ourselves down. Yeah, um, we talked uh, about uh, self-reflection and uh, what is uh, often our default setting and how we have to sometimes work at that just by understanding the different parts of ourselves. Um, we talked about um, how to uh, how to have a conversation when you're at the polar opposite end of a point of view with somebody um, with the view of and being better, be- better than or. So I think yeah. we went through uh, a lot of conversational topics and it was a, it was a good one and we didn't fight. it was there's a lot for people to take away here actually i think yeah. we did a lot of kind of like uh self-reflection and sort of like coaching style reflection that's really going to help people grow and evolve and become nearly as good as me <laughs> and especially uh, <laughs> listen out for josh's sparkling water tips they were the highlight <laughs> of the show enjoy the episode and we'll see you next time <laughs> This is 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kaya. Growing up 115 miles apart, our lives couldn't have been more different, but we find ourselves today with many similarities and outlooks upon life. Join us on our podcast as we take a topical dive into life, work, culture, and everything in between. Hello, Josh. How are you doing, my friend? I'm all right. I, I, I was trying to think of a different opening other than Josh, but all I could come up with is hello, Josh. Yeah. Hello, Josh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm supposed to say Hassan. Yeah. So uh, how is your Tuesday morning going? You have quite a busy life these days, don't you? You're running around town all the time. Yeah. How's your Tuesday morning been? All right, mate. Uh, actually, my eldest daughter's off. She got a really bad throat. So um, that's made my morning a little bit easier, if I'm honest. It's a little bit slower. I don't have to. I leave can leave 45 minutes later as a result of her not going. To oh, that's nice. So you're <laughs> celebrating your daughter not feeling very well and having a sore throat. Yeah. Just yeah. So you can have a nice slower morning. Yeah. yeah she's like, I've wow. got. She's like, I've got a very slight tick. I'm like, you're off for the yeah, rest of off. the week. Yeah. Stay off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Actually, it's quite. She's got. She's doing a mock exam, so uh, she hasn't got any today, but she has tomorrow. So what do you do in that situation, Hass? Am I like, does Josh, the resilience coach who teaches people take your foot off the gas when you need to take it off? What do I teach a child? Do I say, well, you know, you, your kind of health and well-being is more important. You're poorly. You you miss it. Or do I go, no, it's the mocks. You need to uh, push through and go in tomorrow to make sure that you do your mock exam. Is this a serious question? Or I'm, are you I, just, yeah. Okay. I... Well, was it funny then? Was it? Did it? Was it make well, you laugh? Well, you were smiling. You had a smirk on your face, <laughs> like because you were probably thinking about how would it go down if you brought your, co- you know, one of the first rule of coaching is don't try and bring it into your family, right? That's one of the first rules. Uh, it doesn't. It. It. You know, pe- they see past our facade. Don't, time, don't come they? at me with that coaching yeah. bullshit. That's what my wife yeah. says to me. Yeah, yeah. Erin <laughs> just. Yeah, Erin's the same. So. Um, I, 
you know, I think the parent in me goes, well, look, you know, mocks are important and, you know, go in. But actually, if we're really true and, and authentic human beings, then we have to encourage them to listen to their own intuition and they've got to kind of prioritise their own health. So it's a real dilemma, to be honest, because I think if I'm honest, um, I would be steered towards pushing to do sending the, her in to, yeah to do the mocks but if they're genuinely very sick then yeah. they should be at home and the mocks can 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 wait yeah i mean we would hate to have any level of hypocrisy in this house has we are not hypocrites josh We're just <laughs> good standing citizens is that sparkling water you're drinking or yeah you're into the bubbles i used to fully be against sparkling water Right, I was like, Why? well, I just didn't like it. Fully against this, probably a little bit harsh. I just didn't like it. Um, but, Hass, this is a little tip and trick. We've thrown out the tips and tricks already three minutes into 115 miles. Yeah. I, I was drinking too much Coke, fizzy Coke Zero, or Pepsi Max, as I sometimes drink. Um, yeah. And I couldn't get over to water. So... Apple and elderflower sparkling water is my way of getting back on the water while still having a bit of fizz. <laughs> follow me follow me on Instagram for more tips and tricks. <laughs> more, more lifestyle hacks. You're, 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 like, you're like coming at me like that, that is a new phenomenon. It's not really, mate. It's, it's old-fashioned. Do you know why I never used to drink sparkling water? I, I used to um, feel it was a bit like middle class when I was coming up through the ranks as a working class boy. I, I, we just, my mum never bought sparkling water. Like, <laughs> we just drank tap water. That was it. That was it. So, and I'd start going, you know, I started to kind of ascend in my career. And I saw that whenever we went out for a lunch or something, people always went for the uh, sparkling water. And so I, as a maverick, as a rebel, I just sort of went, no, nah, no, nah, I'll just have tap water and do you now, drink do you drink it now then oh mate i'm proper <laughs> I, 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 i've totally absorbed the middle class so uh, if vibes. somebody doesn't have sparkling water when they're with you is there a bit of you thinking look at this peasant he's not he's not I'm made it yet. Person. <laughs> yeah. that person's coming up in their career i'll see you again in 10 years <laughs> um no I, I just like to mix it up now a bit josh right now i'm on just normal water you know it's really sure. helped me because actually what I do is I, I buy three bottles of this and I buy one still. So That's nice. But I just wee so much when I drink water, man. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we should get into that. We could <laughs> I, we could do, we could basically have a five minute conversation, but I don't think our listeners want to. Um, oh, it's hard work drinking as much water as you're supposed to drink, though. Yeah, you just got to get on with it, though, haven't you? And just... It's much oh, worse. Fucking, not to we are throwing out the hacks this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, five minutes in, and people are this just, is going to be scribbling furiously. Notes. Gold, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone's um, going to be listening to the next episode with a sparkling apple and elderflower water, knowing, knowing they are fully middle class. Yeah, closely followed by that um, still bottle of water as well, just to you know, just to mix things up. So. Um, they say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. 
Right. Have you heard that statement before? I have heard that it, saying, yeah. Where does it come yeah. from? Do you know? Have you... No. Uh, from uh, James uh, Madison, circa 1839. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't know. I just made that up. Um, but I want to know... Uh, if we think if we if we sort of play that out so it's it's for the observer um, to kind of um, you know see the beauty and I don't just mean physical like you know appearance what would you say is is your most endearing quality um, to other people what do you think people most like about you Josh I switched that really quickly didn't I we went from pissing loads and drinking fizzy water Uh, to I've, I, look, the first thing I notice is how awkward I feel trying to search yeah. myself for an answer there. What do people like most about me? <laughs> My hair? <laughs> Your hair is definitely top top three for me. Yeah. Um, uh, what do people make like? Uh, I guess I'll go on what I'm often complimented on. My honesty. Um, I'm going to say my empathy yeah. but I feel dead awkward saying that and reflecting yeah. on that and I feel like yeah. I may have given Why you stock I may have given you stock answers there yeah. I don't know look I hate um, uh, I find it difficult to say nice things about myself you yeah. know this because whenever I have to write uh, any kind of copy that's big in myself or anything that I do up, or you have to write it <laughs> yeah and I right, just but- make you sound like shit. <laughs> um, no, but it, it, I'm, I'm, I've deliberately asked a question, and I knew it yeah. would make you feel awkward, because it would make me feel awkward. Yeah. Can um, I can I throw the question back at you before we go? What do What do no, you think? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> okay. I got to think. I got to think of some good things. Um, no, but what w- what do you think makes you feel awkward? What is it about being asked what you're in? you know, what people find endearing about you? Um, I don't know. I guess the answer the answer is not as straight. There's no one straightforward answer. I think Western culture has it, like, uh, quite wrong in terms of the ability to be able to big ourselves up, yeah? Like... Do you mean what, British culture or do you mean Western culture? Uh, well, I can only really speak about British culture, can I? I would imagine that, yeah, because Americans are not the same, are they? Actually, no, no. I don't think so. So British culture, yeah. Like, for example, uh, I always say somebody like Cristiano Ronaldo wouldn't be the player he is if he if he came up as a child in England because he'd be taught, don't be so arrogant, right? And he'd be taught, don't keep trying all those tricks, right? Stop trying to be yeah. something you're not, right? Yeah. Whereas actually, yeah. when you look at like the best sportsmen, football is an example, they have a level of what we might call arrogance, but it's actually self-belief, right? So I think like in British culture, it's kind of bashed out of you that you should never really get above your station. Like you shouldn't really drink sparkling water until you're le- earning at least £50,000 per annum. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I guess that is. And then I probably had imagined that... Um, well, actually, to keep it on a societal level, um, you're sort of pushed into a system rather than focused on really nurturing who you're supposed to be, aren't you, in our in our society, in British culture? Yeah, so just to unpack that, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, 
you can really observe it anecdotally that you know confidence is is really ingrained in much of not all much of American society but when you think about that I think it's probably pointing to middle class probably um, uh, yeah affluent um, educated you know extracurricular activities predominantly white you know um, sort of upbringing and that's what we sort of see on the TV and that's what you know that's what we experience um, not wholly but you know in the main so you sort of look to that confidence and and um, you know Britishness is definitely a bit more self-depreciating uh, culturally um, and I think uh, you know so that definitely feeds into you know I guess you know not, not being overconfident um, or, or arrogant of course you've got individuals but I think the thing I am pointing to is to recognize people see the good in us and mm. and that makes me feel uncomfortable so whenever i i'm doing something quite naturally like trying to help someone sort of doing it just because it's natural and i'm not mm. looking for anything um but then when it's played back to me i just find it very very uncomfortable even though it's not really it's not it's not my perception of myself it's somebody else's it's theirs to own they you know that that's for them to own I still find it really, really awkward. Um, I'm curious as to, I'm just thinking, pulling it back from societal level and thinking about your upbringing, right? And and the chaotic home and the, you, what you, I hope I, I, I'm not oversharing, but you know, the sort of used to be the joker, right? In, yeah. in, in, in the family. Like, what is it, do you think, if, if anything, that contributed to where you are today around feeling awkward? Well, I think, I think if you have any level within the family home, and I think this is probably the norm rather than the exception, but I think if you have any level of kind of emotional avoidance within a family, right, um, then as a child, you kind of learn to be something else. So you build a whole persona, you build a whole um, personality based on how useful you are for other people. So rather than kind of nurturing to be who you are and be very, very comfortable with who you are, love who you are, like who you are, be able to advocate for who you are, uh, we have a tendency, people in general, I believe, in the kind of systems that we live in, uh, the family systems that we live in, generally get their persona on how useful they can be for other people. Um, so that comes with a like at least a low-level sense of shame of... Um, in and of myself, I am not good enough, so I have to be something else. So be the version of myself that people need and want me to be, which will then leave you feeling disconnected um, and downbeat about the person that you are. So there might be a sense of feeling like a little bit of a fraud when people say nice things about you, right? Mm -hmm. If you have it on a high level, you will have a sense of like, when they say it, a sense of you, you don't understand. And if you knew the real me, you would hate me too, which was like, what well, I had high levels of shame in my teenage years. So I felt like that. Whereas today in my life, the, those levels of shame are relatively lower, but are still at the levels of, you know, feeling some discomfort when people compliment me for who I am. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And actually I want to, I want to come on to that a bit later, actually, because I think it, 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 responds well to something I want to talk about in in a while. So um, I'm going to ask you now, 
you know, the, the opposite of that question is what, what do people find annoying about you? Uh, I can be very over opinionated. Um, I can be very brash. Um, in under the right circumstances, I'm very good at talking over people and not listening. Um, uh, I can be quite ranty. Um, Sounds like one of our podcasts, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Do you want more? So, <laughs> I, I reckon. See how easy that was. See how easy that was. Well, that's exactly what I was going to point to. It was really easy for you. No hesitation, straight into it. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. that about? What's that about, do you think? Um, so, let's just kind of contextualise this. When I asked you to, to define or declare or observe what people find most endearing about you, yeah. you found it really difficult, you, you found it um, uncomfortable, you know that people are listening, so there's almost a bit of a declaration that you're making that you're probably not comfortable with. Um, and you then try to, you know, avoid it altogether and start talking about society and, and arrogance and confidence and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Anything to move it away from you. Whereas when I asked you what people find annoying about you, you went straight into boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Mm. What, what do you think is the reason for that? Why, why am I much like I've always, so I've always said, um, you know, insult me and I know what to do with that. Yeah, compliment me and then I don't know what to do with it. Um, why do I find it much easier to, could it be when you've spent a life of kind of self deprivation, is that the right word, yeah? Um, yeah, I think we know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, when you've spent a life doing that, then perhaps, um, perhaps it comes a little bit more easily. Go on. Do you mean self-depreciation, put the sort of putting yourself down, or do you mean um, self-deprivation is kind of uh, keeping it away from you, basically? Uh, no, the former, yeah. Self oh, what, depreciation. What, depreciation, depreciation, yeah. Self-depreciation. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. putting yourself putting down. Putting yourself down. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. I guess like when, you know, that voice in your head, the kind of uh, critical part of ourselves can be very loud if, you know, particularly if we've experienced large amounts of shame, then the critical part of ourselves that is trying to protect us, it's gonna be a lot louder throughout our, throughout our life, right? Because it's gonna put me down to try and stop me doing things to avoid having to f have the feelings of shame. Um, so I guess when you've had a lifetime of that, you know, whenever you mess up, the critics, there you go, I told you, I told you. Um, so I guess it's kind of, it goes around a lot more in my head. So, so I did this little experiment because uh, I'm, I'm curious about it, it's kind of come up for me lately in com coaching conversations, but also I'm just curious about uh, how the mind works, right? And w you and I are potentially, we're a sort of a, a microcosm of society. It's, you know, people that are listening to us. So people that are listening to us will probably have a similar sort of experience. They can very quickly identify the things that people don't like about them, or so they think. That's the narratives potentially that they're creating inside their head versus the reality. Um, but find it difficult. So if we look at what that might look like as a, you know, it, it's like the, the the more negative thoughts are closer to the surface and easier yeah. to extrapolate. Yeah. And the, and, the, and the positive thoughts are buried deeper. So, and what's happening is when, you, when you're asked to kind of play that out in the world, it comes out really quickly in your own thoughts, in, how, in your motivations and how you do things. 
So it comes out much more to the surface. So how do you think we can reframe and retrain the brain so that actually we can embrace some of the positive stuff that people see and feel around us to help us live a bit more of, of, of a balanced life around kind of our feelings? What do you think? Uh, look, I, it seems at the moment so much of what we talk about comes back to the same thing and I always give the same answer but I believe this to be true I think the more that we understand and know the parts of ourselves right and understand so when 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 I this is what I believe currently anyway that is that what you've talked about there which is the kind of more positive parts of ourselves are deeper it's because they're hid behind the parts of ourselves that are trying to protect us and the parts of ourselves that are trying to protect us um do that do so in 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 different ways and there's huge huge there's a lot of risk with me coming out and saying i am a good person and i do good things and here's why people could like me there's risk in that right and there's risk in that because as human beings we are we are highly um i want to use the word fallible but that might be wrong that might be the wrong word but yeah, no, th- yeah, yeah right. So we, we are yeah. right. We 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 yeah. are we are prone to making mistakes. We are prone to getting things wrong, um, and so so there's risk in coming out because then what happens is it's very easy for the people to say, "Well, you said you're a good person. You did this last week. Tell me about that." And I think regularly as humans, actually, what we what we lack understanding in is how easy it is to make mistakes, how easy it is to to do things that I wouldn't want to sit in front of you and, and try and explain and say, Hassi, is why I did it. It was just in that moment, I, I didn't feel safe and so I reacted in this way, right? So the parts of ourselves that exist to protect us from that are actually quite strong in holding negative um, uh, beliefs about ourselves because it's much safer. If I say to you, if I do what Eminem does at the end of 8 Mile, and just declare all the crap things about me, you got nothing, there's no risk. Yeah, because then you can't say, well, that bad thing you did. I said, yeah, well, I told you. So mm-hmm. actually, I think to some degree we do we do that. Um, we do that on a level, and that's why we, we, we don't take the risk of um, having that part of ourselves be, be, be at the front, you know, the positive part of ourselves. Yeah, and the, and the risk, not taking the risk is like insurance, because it, 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 it may not happen, right? It may not happen, if you do declare it, but in your head, you're like, well, I better not, because it might happen. So exactly. And, and I'll live in this space. Exactly. Um, there's a boxer called Dave Allen. I think we might have, I might have mentioned him around certain parameters before in the past. And he said that um, he's not scared of failure. He's scared of committing to success. Right. And the reason that he says that, what he means by that is... Um, the moment he comes out and says, I'm going to try, because he's a heavyweight, I'm going to try and be heavyweight champion of the world. I'm not sure he was ever on that level. But the moment he comes out and says that, if he, like, if he starts getting towards that, then when people start believing in him, he feels this terrible weight and this terrible pressure that he's not going to be able to live up to it, right? So um, well, it's like you, well, like you said yeah. just then, that kind of leads into what you said. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at Emma Raducanu, right? Like it's a yeah. similar thing, right? Like... She probably just wanted to play tennis and then she gets thrust. You know, she, I think she um, didn't have, I think she had to withdraw from, was it Wimbledon? I can't remember, one tournament. And then went and won, won in the US and then suddenly you've got this huge weight of expectation. Yeah. And it's really, that's a lot to, for, for a young 
person and a mind to have to deal with. We kind of got a lot of that, right? There's a huge weight of expectation. We do this um, exercise, um, which is taken from a book called Designing Your Life in our, in our sort of coaching work, where we sort of move people from the Ikigai process, which we've talked about on this podcast before, um, through to like, okay, how do we sort of start to design what that might look like in my life? And there's sort of three sort of scenarios that you can take in, in this sort of adventure planning. It's called Odyssey Planning in the book, I think. So like if you're current, over the next five years, if your current life was expanded, so if you, Josh, was you know doing what you're doing today, like where could it go in the next five years? The next one is what if what you do doesn't exist? So if, if coaching, if resilience, if, you know, if leadership development work for me didn't exist, what would we do? And that sort of helps us draw onto like some past possibilities that maybe we haven't actualized. But then the last one, I really love this one, was, is what if money and image didn't matter? Mm. Right. So actually, if 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 actually money didn't matter in that all your hygiene factors were taken care of and image, the thing that you had created over time. Didn't matter. What could you do? What would you do? What 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 limitless possibilities would there be? Because your family wouldn't look to you and go, oh, you're the one that's made it. You know, you're the you're the only one in the family that's gone to university. Someone might say, you know, I've heard that before. Yeah. The first in my, you know, uh, I'm the only professional one in the family or whatever it is. And actually, if they didn't exist, what would you do? Mm. And I think that's like a really powerful um, thing to understand is that we sort of build these these uh, identities. And also on top of that, we layer what we think are other people's expectations of us. as mm. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um really understanding the parts of your self was kind of an eye opener for me. And I, I think I'm not sure if we've actually talked about it on the podcast, but you gave me a bit of coaching for me. Um, in one of our sort of um, in one of our sort of moments where we weren't beating each other up or, or shouting at each other about fancy football. It was, it was you were actually quite generous for once with me. Um, um, but even then, I, I, you know, I think the other parts of me were really trying to resist it. They were like the other parts of me were really trying to resist being coached. Mm. And there was just a moment where I just realized what what was going on. And it was just because you were patient and you were supportive and, you know, you sort of held the space that that helped me to understand. And just so I'm not talking in, in vague abstract, one of the biggest parts of me um, and uh, for people that know me, um, uh, and don't know me is that I'm, I really, really almost have a maniacal need to be in control. <laughs> and I always like, I need to control situations. And I think we pointed to moments in my past as a child in, in childhood where that needed to show up and it's just carried through. But also on top of that, I sort of feel responsibility for being, you know, somebody in the world for a lot of people, um, whether that's for my family or my extended family, which I include my friends and, you know, and, and people that are close to me. Um, that is really hard for that not to be like head and shoulders above all of my other parts. And so yeah. once I realized that that was at play, it really, yeah, for me, it was like a, 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 like a watershed moment where it started to unpack lots of things. So it's really important work. Really yeah. like, so, so how can not everyone, you know, un, you know, has been through, you know, the work where you start to talk about this on, on your own stuff. How can people start to discover the different parts of themselves? Well, look, I think I always start with the most obvious one, which is the inner critic, right? Because 
everybody seems to know they're in a critic, right? You see it talked about all of the time and I hear people saying, shut it up, don't believe it, it's somebody else's voice, it's not yours, all of those kind of things. Um, and actually, if you listen to the inner critic, so listen to it, rather than kind of pushing back against it, listen to it, right? So if I was to close my eyes and say, like, what's the inner critic saying to me, right? And even now, if I try to check in with it, right, I, I can hear it saying, you look like a dick with your eyes closed on the podcast, right? Self-reflecting, right? Can hear it straight away. That's that's what it does, yeah? Um, and so if I could push back against that and be like, fuck off, no, I'm all right. And then the critic would get louder. Why would it get louder? Because it wants to protect me. And if I push back against it, it's going to do what anybody that would be trying to protect somebody is going to do. If I pushed you back when you were trying to protect somebody, you'd, you know, you'd get stronger. You'd get stronger in the way in which you come forward. So actually what you want to do is listen to it and interact with it, yeah? Like, um, what's what, what's wrong? Why, why, why are you telling me these things? Why are you saying this to me? And what you start to realize is, through a little bit of work, is that um, it's trying to protect you. It's worried, right? I don't wanna feel those feelings of shame. And then you might ask it, well, when did you first feel those feelings of shame, right? And it'll, you know, if you're if you're in, in that level of, of self-reflection and able to ask it, it will tell you that part of yourself. And I know this might feel a stretch for people, like the fact that I'm saying it will tell you, like it's a different part of yourself. But this is, when you when you do this self-reflection work, it can be really useful. Now, to bring in um, the example that you gave when we did it with you, what you start to realize is there's loads of different parts of yourself. Now, they, they, they all serve a purpose, actually, and they're there for a good reason. My inner critic helped me build inner you, yeah? Because when I finished and went, that'll do, the inner critic was like, you need to fucking go back over it because it's shit. So then I listened to it, then I go back over it and actually I do improve it. But the more that I can interact with it, yeah, the, the, the kind of control freak in you helps you to like build and, and do what you're doing. Yeah. But when we can interact it and find ways to go beyond it. I, when I was at Uncommon Man, uh, not the last one, the one before, uh, I set everybody up to do their paired work. And then there was one left over. And I was like, oh, Mark, who helps me organize it, Mark, I'll go with you, right? And in my mind, that, control part of me was like we'll just go with mark he knows you you can listen to him let him do his thing yeah and then you can go through the motions and he knows that you're organizing this so then i sat down did mark you have seven minutes each to talk about something that's coming up for you mark did his seven minutes and then mark was like what are you going to talk about and i was a little bit like fuck off mate i'm like i'll i'll run this thing yeah i'm not gonna and i was like all right let me talk about this thing and then I started talking about it and he asked me two or three questions. The next thing I was crying. Yeah. Wow. And then what I realized is when I went back into the group, I realized, you know, that part of me that serves me amazingly in my, in my job is the very thing, the one that gets emotional for everybody else that holds space for them and does all that. That in and of itself is a protector of mine. It's the very thing that stops me having to feel my emotions. I don't have to look at my stuff if I'm crying about your stuff. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, like, but the more that you self-reflect and become curious about why that's happening, yeah, the more that we can learn. And just quickly to say it, you see this play out in our society today, people's inability to be able to do it. The moment that people see something that triggers them or upsets them, they go straight on the attack, yeah? So it's not like, why might this person say this? Let me find out about it. It's, I feel uncomfortable, I don't feel good, you're wrong, point away, away, away. Not what part of myself is scared here by what's been said? And how can I reflect and learn about myself in doing that? And that's why you see, people clash online all of the time, right? And it happens with a lot of the stuff that I do, because I'm opinionated. I think, I think um, 
the the situation feels like it's compounded by the pace at which we live and operate at now yeah it's almost like you don't it's almost it feels indulgent to take time to reflect and think about what you want to say so actually that does bring me on to where i wanted to go next because um i think what's part of the power of of this podcast is that we're very different yeah like we're similar and we're very different and um you know for me reflection is an important part of my probably part of my control part actually you know so not feeling pushed feeling like i got space and there have been some occasions like a few episodes ago a couple of episodes ago where we kind of you know it was our most heated ever i think we called it as our, on, on socials <laughs> clickbait but actually, yeah, was, clickbait, really, yeah, yeah yeah but like on reflection i think what 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 was going on there was um you you were a little bit triggered I was a little bit triggered. We had a bit of spillover because we'd started the conversation in, in the weekend and we, we clearly had opposing views, but we sort of got to a place where, we, where we'd left it where we did on Sunday, but it was still sort of, it was there in the, uh, in the ether. Um, but then you talked about it. Sometimes what happens is when you've got something, when you've got the bit between your teeth or you're, you, 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 you feel strongly about something, um, or you feel like there's an opposing view, you talk over and you and you jump in. And I think what was happening there was I needed a bit of space to kind of gather my thoughts and you were like coming at me. And that, so in my, in my head, I was like, you're shouting at me, but you weren't, you were just like, go doing what you normally do when we, when we go sort of toe to toe. But in my head, I was sort of up against the wall. And it just, it, it just, um, it just shows that like on something like this, this is kind of like, uh, you know, this is uh, a very unnatural th thing in a way where we're recording our podcast and lots of people are listening to our conversation. If we were just in a room, just me and you, I wouldn't have been thinking about any of that. And I just probably would have just told you to fuck off or shut up. And, you know, but I was very aware of what was going on and I felt like I didn't have the time or the space to reflect. And so that was just obviously a little, you know, a, a microcosm of, of what society's like. But that's what it feels like sometimes. So you always feel like, it's say if you're in a meeting at work and it comes to you and you've got to give an answer, you almost feel like you don't have the space to say, let me just think about that and come back because there's this sort of pressure. Slack, you know, for example, or instant messaging has been such a destructive part of work culture, I think, because it's just... Um, it takes people out of flow, you know, it just gets them constantly responding. So I just um, uh, think that it's really uh, incumbent upon us to take a bit of space and time to be able to respond in the way that you that feel that you need to. Yeah, and social media perpetuates it, right? Not just Slack, but social media perpetuates it, right? Because what happens is, is we often react when we're in that triggered state. That pressure that you're talking about, that triggered state, it's a part of yourself's become, feel scared, right? Part of yourself doesn't doesn't feel safe, right? That's mm -hmm. that's what you're talking about. When we're on the mm -hmm. podcast, you, mm -hmm. you know, there's a part of you that knows we're being listened to here. There's a part of you that's probably thinking, he's making you look stupid, he's pinning you down, you're, you're kind of whatever. Yeah, so then you you don't feel safe. So then you, when you don't feel safe, nobody reacts in the way that they they should. It, like it's just it actually happened for me last night online, right? I've done a lot of kind of exploring um, in the kind of over medicalization space of how I see natural human emotion over medicalized. Now, 
the, the space that I exist in on, on kind of LinkedIn and Instagram are people that exist in some kind of echo chamber, if you want to call it that, of people who um, uh, kind of understand what I do, that I reflect and that I'm curious about things. And, that you know, I, I actually welcome people to come and say, you know, in a compassionate way, uh, what about this? What about that? Um, and I posted something that was quite flippant on Facebook, a, a, a screenshot of something that was quite flippant that said something along the lines of, um, we tell children, schools tell children that drugs are bad and then prescribe them. It's not Ritalin, oh, yeah. another drug. Have you seen that. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't really think at the time. I just thought, yeah, that really sums up a lot of what I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like how we over-medicalize children because they're fidgeting in class. Right, and then they get medicalized. And mm -hmm. like, I actually come from a space where I've had some of my children go through difficult times and I don't want to take them to the doctors because I worry that they'll get medicalized when what I actually want them is human support. And we don't offer that yeah. because things are... Yeah. So that's kind of my narrative. But I posted it on Facebook. And of course, there's a few people, particularly on Facebook, who don't, you know, I don't really post on there. But there's a few people on there who have got children who are obviously on medication uh, as a result of their own experiences. And of right. course, their reaction is not to be like, why might Josh, who does a lot for children, right, and is always advocating for them, why might he say that? Let me explore it. It's just like, wow, you're disgusting. This is stigmatizing and quite, you know, simply it's offensive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of, like, luckily, I'm in a space for Facebook where it doesn't massively affect me in the way that it used to. But two years ago, I'd get really triggered by that. And then I'd be like, yeah. fucks. So what I did is actually I came away, I reflected, and then I posted this morning um, a reflection on an article that was kind of, um, supporting uh, or advocating for a narrative that I was looking at and I gave three different books that were worth reading just go and check these yeah. out right? I'm not, not here yeah. to argue anyway. and then I and then I replied on the thing and I, da, 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 and I said um, you know I apologize for your experiences and stuff like that but but what you find is is that people will just come back straight away because when they're triggered yeah that's it you know people when you're triggered yeah. you're in attack you go into attack mode yeah. it's very hard to when I'm triggered, go, let me reflect. Why am I scared? In the here? moment. Change? Yeah, in the it's moment. really hard yeah. for anyone. Yeah. For anyone, really including myself, anyone. by the way. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Like once you're, once you're in it, it's really hard. I do think I, um, I do, you know, there are, t there are moments where I can really just calm myself down really quick because I can sort of see what's going on. But sometimes you're just really in the thick of it in the eye of the storm. But, but, um, I I wanted to talk about something called default setting. So it, I came across this this term default setting as it relates to human because obviously we know about it in technology, right? It's like when you go to sort of factory default settings. And but that's essentially where it's sort of taken from in human terms is what's our default setting. So doctors uh we may perceive doctors default setting because of the fact that there's so much pressure on them to um, medicate and get people out and go through the numbers that actually their default setting is to prescribe as opposed to diagnose, you know, like that's yeah. possibly um, the default setting. A lot of humans default settings, as in the thing that they just resort to super quickly is um, is attack, you know, when they're feeling it like uh, they need to defend. And it just got me thinking about, you know, you know, not that particular podcast, but you know, they're, they're, you've talked to me about on the football field, you're quite different. You're, you're a different beast altogether, right? And um, We've obviously talked on this podcast about your past and um, and how uh, uh, there was violence, uh, you know, involved in your life as well as kind of you know the addictions and stuff like that. Um, and you know, for me, sometimes 
as surprising as it may be on this podcast, I'm 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 grumpy. I'm like I'm sort of moody. I'm not I'm not fun to be around. I'm not great. I can be pretty spiky. I can be um, aggressive sometimes. Um, and I, I'm just curious as as to whether that's you think that's your default setting that you have to work away from. Or actually, do you think your kindness, generosity, the things you found it difficult to talk about, empathy, compassion, is that your default setting? What do you no, think? So, so default setting, just to clarify, is... Is the thing, if you wake up in the morning, that's probably what you're more likely to be and you have to work on the other stuff. So I have a belief that when we're fully in ourselves, we're compassion, love and all of those things, yeah? So default setting is probably what I'm more inclined to do if, I, if I've if i not come back into myself, yeah? Yeah. In, yeah. in, in which case it's to get angry, defend and, and you know, whether that's uh, much, much, you know, less in my life today, is it physical, <laughs> yeah? But I will use my words as much as I can to try and make somebody look stupid. So, you know, to bring it back to um, the thing that I was just talking about there on the Facebook, Two years ago, I would have tried to make everybody that had gone against what I said look stupid. I would have been yeah. um, verbally violent, right? But I would have done it in a way that didn't, you know, that was kind of gaslighting and wasn't making me seem verbally violent and was using intellect to try and tie them up, yeah? yeah. Whereas, because that's my default saying. So what I have yeah. to work on is go, you no, know, come back into myself yeah. and be compassionate yeah. here. These people are, you know, clearly triggered by what you've written and you, you, your response is not to try and make them feel stupid about it if you can try and clarify then do right which I did and then if they then keep going you kind of need to let it go because they're not they're not there for a discussion right and it's one thing that so my default setting is that is 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 uh yeah is to go on the defensive it's it's really um brave and vulnerable to say that out loud, right? Because I think, um, I, you know, I think I am perceived, you asked me like, what's, what do you think is endearing to others about me? I think similar stuff, compassion, empathy, generosity, space. Um, and I really want to be able to think that that is my default setting. And I think what you said there, when you, when you, take time to be with yourself and be in yourself and have space and 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 put your own oxygen mask on first then definitely that that becomes the default setting right but actually when you don't and you just go back to that place where you are um running into the red and you don't you know you haven't had the opportunity to top up your levels and stay in the green my default setting definitely goes defensive definitely yeah. like for me and then for me attack is the f best form of defense yeah and it's really hard because i don't think people see that a lot of b both of us right but mm. it's important to 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 be able to talk about this sort of stuff because i think other people will probably in some part nod along and know that when when they get when they get energy drained when they get triggered when they haven't created space and time for themselves they go into that place and there's always an impact on other people, right? That for me, it'll be, you know, it'll be, I'm just not, you know, like I'll be really grumpy or, or, or pissed off or moody, but there's no context for my kids. So they're just expecting the dad who was really happy the night before. And then suddenly I'm not. And it's like, but, but you know, and, I, and so I have to really understand what's going on there. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and you know that 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 this book that I'm I've nearly finished reading it now called Mistakes Were Made but but not by us. There's so many studies that show that self self justification, the lengths we will go to to self justify, is actually wired in our brain, and you actually do need to work hard to go beyond that. And they have I talked about this before? How they looked at no, like quote quote unquote bent coppers and how most of them become that way. Yeah, because. Um, of self-justification so it might start off by chasing a, a a drug dealer into their apartment two of them risking their life chasing them in there get into the toilet and then flushing all their drugs down the toilet and then this police officer because they're a good person yeah might have crack that they've confiscated from somewhere else and might just think yeah. we've risked everything to catch this person who we know is guilty because i've just watched them do that they might chuck a little bit of drugs on the floor to make sure that this person gets put in prison right yeah, and they will justify it by yeah, no that's yeah, not yeah. me no, I'm not, I haven't done wrong yeah. there I've done right because I'm a good person yeah. but then what yeah. happens is that self justification then next time when they're really really sure somebody's guilty they've not seen it with their own eyes but they're really sure then they may begin to kind of plant evidence or, 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 or the same as the alike right and then before you know it a very good person has found themselves in a place where they're doing they're doing bad right and they're actually making yeah. innocent people end up in prison yeah. so that kind of self-justification and how far that will go and how hard you have to work right to come down from off that self-justification hilltop and start to reflect on yourself and it's not um it's not easy because what this book is saying is that actually we're wired we're wired to justify ourselves and that's why it's so hard to come back and actually go, what am I doing here? You know, and yeah. reflect in those situations and know, you know, in a, if we take that podcast that we've done, you know, the the most argumentative one ever or whatever, like I have to reflect and see that there was a part of me that saw you were on the ropes, right? And fucking pinned you down on the ropes, mm -hmm. right? Because I wanted to win and I wanted to be right. And I wanted to like show everybody that's listening, I, I know what I'm talking about. Mm. right and so but but being able to reflect on that is important and i guess to to bring it back to what you said about default setting i have to know that you know you see me on a football pitch you'll know that compassion is not my default setting when i'm in the moment in the heightened moment yeah. it's funny yeah. actually i was doing just quickly i was doing a breathwork session last night and my son came up to the door and listened <laughs> and in the car this morning he was like i thought you was crying and I was like, no, I wasn't crying, but it's like emotive, yeah? So yeah. I'm like, it, my voice might be like that. And he's yeah. like, imagine if any of them people in that session last night saw you on the football pitch. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or if any of the ones on the football pitch saw you Saw you in night. the breakfast <laughs> session, yeah. yeah. yeah it's true, man, yeah. <laughs> oh, they probably all need it, don't they? To be honest, all those uh, 22 <laughs> yeah. on the field. Um, but I think, I think it's really important, uh, you know, again, to... You know, this wasn't by design, but it is, you know, the default saying it is a part of ourself. Yeah. It doesn't have to always be constant, but understanding that there's work that we need to do um, to, to, you know, the default setting isn't always negative. It can be positive. Like, it, you know, the default setting can be positive. And for people who are kind of fixed and don't, you know, don't feel that they can grow, you can just do that just by really taking time to understand yourself. And for some people, it may be like, oh, that's a, well, if they're listening to us, they're probably on our pathway anyway, right? Like if they're yeah. listening to this podcast. So, so it's just about making time for yourself, um, spending time with other people, spending time um, creating space for yourself or creating space uh, with others as, as we do, I think really helps to, to 
explore those things. Okay, cool. Um, I want to talk about something called uh, a phrase that I nicked from a, a boss of mine. Um, uh, he used to say, the glory of and and the tyranny of or. Um, and what I, I may have sort of shared that with you before, but I, I really love the, the, the spirit of um, and versus or. And the reason I want to talk about it is because, um, you know, I talked about this with you last week around, uh, you know, uh, what's going on in Ukraine. And this isn't, this isn't, you know, us diving into what's going on in Ukraine. I just want to be really clear. Um, but what has, has been emerging from um, news reports is kind of as well, as well as the, you know, the atrocities that Ukrainians are facing, you know, uh, uh, with what's going on with the war, with, uh, with the invasion from Russia. Um, there was also stories of um, racism emerging so that, you know, um, black uh, people, people of colour that were trying to escape from Ukraine were, were suffering racism. And, uh, and stories were coming out and narratives were coming out about this happening. And um, when people started to talk about it, it's... Uh, they were accused of race baiting or opportunism, you know, to kind of play the race card at a time like this. And it was really, it was a, it was a really heavy moment when I started to kind of acknowledge what was going on in the world, but really heavy because even in a moment like this, the divide was really big. The reason I wanted to bring Anne not or is, is it can be both. Yeah. You know, like it can be, we can have compassion for all of Ukraine and all of the Ukrainian people. And we can also acknowledge that people of colour are having a different experience. Mm. And there is racism going on. Because there was racism in Ukraine before the war. And there's racism in, you know, Europe, there's racism over here. Like it's not that, it, you know, it doesn't just suddenly go away when people feel more cornered, you know, you know, the, 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 you know, your defense systems go up, your default settings go up, right? As we've just yeah. talked about, um, you know, and the other thing about, and like, you know, and so, so there were people saying it's fake news and it's not, you know, there, there is both real media, uh, and, and quality media and there is fake news on both sides. There is probably sensationalism of certain things. Something may have been captured on, video and, and re-represented in a different way. But then there is truth to it as well. And I think uh, if the more we can be and and ex and, understand, and appreciate that there are truths in both those situations, the more like the chance we have to move forward. Mm. Whereas when we say fixed to or, we stay in these polarized camps. It's my view or it's your view, and we can't ever agree. And that's where, that's the danger of anything. You know, even on a humanitarian crisis, we can't, we can't, um, we can't almost sort of put that to rest and say, actually, there are people that are just trying to get out. Let's, let's support them in the best way. So I just um, wonder what you think about what we can do to try and bridge that 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 gap that conversation yeah well look in, in in the context of what you said i don't have a great deal to add to it i think um people do really struggle with the whole 
mixed emotion side of stuff to be able to see both without doing or um and in the context of what we've seen going on people need to be able to do it we need to get much better at it yeah because what people hear when they hear there's racism going on right for some reason whatever that reason is people hear um i don't care about the war i just care that racist people people are being racist right which is not what's being said but but people hear that and so it's very difficult and actually it's very similar or not very similar but it's on the same spectrum as what i talked about earlier which is when I post saying, I think over-medicalization is happening too much, what people hear is, you think my child shouldn't be on medication, right? Which is which is it's two different things and actually both can exist and people really, really struggle with that. And look, I know we're not going into the war and, and talking too much about the war, um, but the fact that, that countries that are full largely of brown people have been being bombed by western countries for god knows how long and nobody ever even bats an eyelid about it uh i think there's something there to be said about that i mean you know look what we did for iraq under completely false pretenses it was an illegal war however you look at it so 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 i mean i think there's layers of that there as well but again um becomes one of those things that's very difficult and tricky to talk about because um because people can't do that and yeah they, they, they always go I also I think it you, like you said you know when we were talking about COVID and lockdowns and people were saying oh you know you you you, you would challenge the narrative uh, when people say oh don't don't question the government right now they're doing important busy work and you were like no now's the time we should be there are probably some people that are saying well we shouldn't be having those conversations now let you know have those in the future and I think it's both and not all right so so i think there should be some sensitivity for what's going on and what people are suffering in the moment it's very real for 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 people and it is important to to uh to uh, acknowledge the hypocrisies of of western governments european governments uh when they react in a particular way uh, with uh, this sort of invasion versus another invasion. So, for example, you know there were far less there were far less um, uh, you know sanctions when when Russia um, you know carpet bombed Syria, right? And um, and there's you know there's a lot there's a lot that's sort of been happening uh, in the world that just you know that doesn't get looked at with the same lens. But I would like to pause that because I think it would be a good conversation for us in the future where we just I think a big part of it um, is around how connected people feel and we've talked about this before right it's why people react differently to uh, you know uh, the murder of a white person versus the murder of a brown person or you know if uh, say a building that, uh, that you know that is a tourist building that they can resonate with um, you know burns down as did happen with Notre Dame in mm. France people just react in different ways and I don't think it's just sort of a bit of human nature. So I think we should we should park that for now. Um, so I just would like to um, ask you one final question, actually. So if, um, just relating to the and versus or, what do you think, um, if you're sitting on one end of a spectrum, like let's take let's just take me and you talking about Joe Rogan on on that podcast two episodes ago. I will let it go. I promise. After this, right? But, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But you were you you had a strongly held view, and I had mm. a strongly held view. Mm. So we were possibly in awe, you know, versus and. What do you think we could do on reflection to be a bit more and uh, um, in the situation? I think you just needed to see that I was right, and you. Were like, <laughs> <laughs> I, walked, I walked into that one, didn't I? <laughs> uh, what did we need to do to be? More, look, I, I think it's the same with any kind of argument. Uh, with any uh, argument, with any debate, debate should be about making yourself wrong. It shouldn't be about making yourself right. Yeah, yeah? I love that. Yeah, exactly. And that so that's what debate should be about. And that wasn't we weren't there. I wasn't mm. trying to make myself wrong. I was trying mm. to show you I'm right. Mm. Debate should be about trying to make myself wrong. Mm. So it should be about taking what you're saying and saying, can I pull apart what I think? And you know, that's. Um, that level of curiosity, by the way, is how you should do all self work, I believe. So yeah. you should go, here's what I think I feel right now. Why might that not be the case? So so um, somebody might say in this situation that we just talked about, I'm, I feel annoyed that Hass is talking about race when there's a war going on in Russia, right? And I am angry about that because there's a war going on and there's worse things to think about, right? That might be what somebody might say. So the reflection work would be, why might that be wrong? Hmm. Why might that not be the case? Can I hypothesize internally about why I might be pissed off of it, right? And then bring the hypotheses to the table and then even make them wrong or make them right, yeah? Yeah. That's kind of, that's, that, 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 yeah. that's like science, really. Yeah, that's what great. science is, isn't it? Very good, all right, so. Reasons to be cheerful, Josh. What's your reason to be cheerful, mate? It uh, it's Women's Day today, isn't it? Yeah. So I will just shout out to my four children that are women. Uh, my wife and my mum. Uh, there's nothing more to add to that, really, other than they're all incredible people. Um, women, all incredible women. Yeah, they're all incredible women. Yeah. Um, and they're all incredible because they know me, the man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, don't at me. I'm yeah. joking. Uh, no, that, that's why, you know, I'd leave it there and just say that, that all of them are Perfect. very grateful to have them all in my life and I uh, don't know where I'd be without them. Uh, all of them. That's amazing. Beat that. I can't. Beat that virtual sig <laughs> virtual signaling. <laughs> yeah, mate. How do I come back from that? Now listen, I um I uh I actually just wanna um say that I'm I'm uh cheerful just for taking a step forward. And uh, let me just explain. When I woke when I walked in today, I just was like, oh I can't be bothered. I cannot be bothered to uh to do this today. I'm not feeling it and I just I didn't really have any idea what I was going to talk about or what my hosting topics were. and But I knew like I wanted to show up and I knew I wanted to um, have a go. So I just thought, let's just take a step and get going. So that's really rubbish compared to your um, to your uh, celebration of your women. So I celebrate my women as well. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just <laughs> kick them out when there's something good on the telly. Um, <laughs> mate, enjoyed this. Very good yeah. conversation. And yeah, uh, look, looking much. forward to it going out. Thank you very much. See you, do you next time. Do you want to do your little... Do you want to do your little... Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
Thanks again for listening to 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Khan.